As he said, I was hoping I could maybe make a thousand dollars, you know, when you wow. like if I made a couple thousand bucks, this would have been a home run win, you know. And you know, the day we relaunched it, I think he made, you know, three and a half million dollars, you know, and completely transformed his life. And now he's Pixel Map full time. He just built an amazing uh, video game, like a Zelda type game, on top of Pixel Map. Um, and it's just been awesome. Welcome back to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring the intersection of entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden, and this week our guest is Adam McBride. Adam is an NFT archaeologist and an NFT historian. And so, as we discussed in this week's episode, he essentially acts like a Hollywood producer, but for NFTs, in that the traditional Hollywood producer will sift through source material and script after script after script. And what Adam does is similar, except he's just sifting through the blockchain. Instead of stories, he's looking for artists, artists who he thinks he can help position to create memorable digital art. And so that's his role, that's what he unpacks. He ex explores his journey in this episode uh, from owning a soap dispensing company to getting involved in crypto and Web3. It's a, it's a really fascinating insight into a very fascinating career niche. So let's dive in. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Awesome to be here, man. This is my favorite subject. It's a growing subject, and uh, one one has to wonder. You know, it's your favorite subject. Did you ever envision that it would be? You know, growing <laughs> up as a, <laughs> could you ever imagine that that you would be saying that uh, on a podcast? Zero chance, zero chance. Until last March, uh, March of 2021, I knew about NFTs. I was aware when CryptoPunks came out. Uh, certainly was aware when when CryptoKitties you know, exploded back in 2017. Um, and I understood the idea of a collectible on a blockchain. I understood that. That kind of made sense from a like baseball card perspective. Um, but certainly the idea of going back and digging up old projects that kind of constitute this like step to the modern F NFT. What are the, what's the kind of path we've taken to the modern NFT? Uh, I had no idea that that was going to happen until March of last year when, Basically, four projects were kind of rediscovered during this one week of March, and my life was literally upended. Like my life completely changed during that week because it just it ignited in me like the Indiana Jones in me, which was, just, <laughs> bro, it's there. There's gold on the blockchain. All you have to do is go find it. Just go find it. And I, I literally dedicated like the next six months of my life just just doing like almost nothing but that. Like, wow. like literally almost nothing. Like at one point to my wife, I was like, look, it makes no sense for me to go to Walmart and go shopping right now because there's the potential that I'm losing thousands of dollars by going to Walmart. Like that would be crazy. Like I can do nothing but this. And, and that's what I did for like six months. Let, 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 let's kind of find, find this, uh, this Indiana Jones journey from, from inception all the way through. So prior to it, I guess the prequel to this story, what, what were you involved in? What were you into? Like, how did maybe, maybe take us through the journey of young Adam up to the point where he realizes NFT is a, a, a from a, from a non-fungible thing. This is a tangible path. Yeah. Um, well, I won't go too far back because it's maybe a long story, but I, um, I, I was definitely into the idea of crypto, 
like Bitcoin, when I first heard about it, I was I was excited about like most people are hearing about it for the first time. People always ask in the space, when did you get into Bitcoin? Like I got into Bitcoin when it was $32. I remember very specifically hearing about Bitcoin when it was $32 and like calling my brother. We talk about finances and I have or had a, um, you know, a show about stock trading and options with him for years. And I remember talking to him about it at $32 specifically because he, he goads me about it to this day. And but I know this for a fact, if I had bought a bunch of $32, when it hit $300, I would have sold all of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm from more of like a Wall Street background, trading background, you know, so a 10x is like that's life change. Like that just doesn't really happen. Right. So, um, you know, so I, I always anybody who got into Bitcoin early. There's always this, no, I wouldn't have hold, held till 20,000. That would have never, ever happened, you know? Um, so I, I heard about Bitcoin then. I didn't get into it. I just kind of put it on the like really cool thing. Very interesting. Um, in 2017, though, when the ICO boom was happening on Ethereum, uh, my ears completely perked up because, again, I'm from this like traditional business background sense. And when people, I saw people raising, you know, 20, 30 million dollars on a weekend with literally nothing but a white paper. I was like, this is crazy. Like I have friends with real businesses, you know, who need funding, who could use an extra 10 million dollars to grow their business. Like, let's do this. What I settled on doing was trying to be like a, a technical person and help people like build coins. So I spent like a couple months. I learned how to like code coins. I learned coding you know, enough to like be able to make coins back then. I built my website, like we make coins.com or whatever the heck it was named, you know? And, uh, and I put it out there and it just never, it, I got no business <laughs> basically. Um, I was being contacted literally by people who were like, Hey, I have, I have a thousand dollars. Can you make me a coin so I can like pump it and dump it? And I was just like, man, I do not, first of all, I don't want to take your last thousand dollars. And second, I don't want to do that because if I'm not if if I'm not screwing you over for your thousand dollars, I'm screwing over the person who's buying your coin. Right. right. I want it. I saw it as like like this is a legitimate fundraising tool for real businesses. I like viewed it that way. Um, sure. Probably naively, right? But I I viewed it as like a legit way for legit businesses to raise funding globally. Right. I thought that was really cool. And um and when that all kind of went down and I had like my fifth phone call with a dude with $500 who wanted to like scam people out of money. I was like, this is it. I, I can't do this. And, uh, and so I closed it down without making a petty. You know, you, you, you touch on, I think the, well, one props to upholding, you know, uh, some, some, some morals in the space. Uh, and, and I think a lot of, you hear often of people getting built or scammed or whatever for sure I, to, to not go down that path is awesome. Uh, but more, more I, I guess I'm curious. So, so with, with the finance background, it was more that you saw opportunity here it, from a fundraising perspective and wanted to essentially help businesses grow and be a part of that from literally the bottom up. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I still think, um, crypto, one of the best use cases is this idea to be able to fund, uh, projects or people around the world. Um, in a in a trustless way where you can set up DAOs and do all these sort of very interesting things to raise funds. Uh, I know the SEC is the one thing wanting to just completely stop this. 
But for somebody who loves and feels like the individual drives everything in this world, um, for me to be able to support, um, you know, a guy who wants to open a coffee shop in India or a bakery in France, um, legally, you can't really do it today. And it's unfortunate because I think there's tremendous uh, ability to unleash creativity of individuals around the world. And I think that was what we saw with the ICO boom of, right, people always want to grab money for themselves. But that doesn't mean the underlying technology isn't fantastic and can't be used for really, really powerful and good things. Totally. And and which speaks to the ethos of decentralized economies and, and, and stuff like that. And in, in that way, so you, you, you were looking to play a part in unleashing that creativity, as you said, uh, which I think is awesome. How, how then does that kind of pivot or blossom into becoming a self-proclaimed uh, NFT archaeologist, NFT historian? How does that, how does that shift? Yeah. Out? So basically at the end of um, 2020, um, I, I was lightly on Twitter at the time, very lightly. Um, never really used the, the platform much I, just because I, I run businesses. So I'd always use like Facebook ads, Instagram ads, right? So I'd always been heavy on those platforms, but I never found Twitter to be good from a business perspective, right? At all. And so I was only lightly on Twitter, but when I saw, I don't know if I heard a news story or whatever about, um, crypto punks in late 2020 and how one had sold for some amount, which I was like, Oh snap. Like, wow, this is like something again. And I don't know, it might've been $50,000 or something. Right. And I was like, wow, this is this, let me get back into this a little bit. And I found a, you know, a small community on Twitter, which was into, you know, crypto Twitter, right? We know it now. So crypto Twitter and NFT Twitter kind of formed at that time. NFT Twitter did, but I was following, you know, crypto Twitter guys. And, and, um, I started following it in, in the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, I was like, wow, this is starting to be, there's some interest here. Like the use case for NFTs is being highlighted through these expensive CryptoPunk sales. And that was very exciting to me. And so I, I just started following it again. And then literally one more, I was like, the way, the way I built businesses and, and learn stuff is always by doing things, right? So with the coins back in 2017, I learned I took the time to learn something, to actually build a business around it, which helps me kind of understand the, the process and what it really is. And so um, maybe the February of, of last year, uh, some guy I was following on Twitter put out a tweet in the morning. It was literally, I'm literally having my morning coffee and was like, hey, I want to put my, um, some of my music, make an NFT out of it, sell it and donate that to Sloan Kettering for cancer research. Can anybody build the NFT for me? And I literally, I just wrote back, yes, I'll have it done today. Right. And I had no idea what I was doing. Right. But I just, I was like, this is like, this is a, let me, this is my entry point. And I spent like the next six hours or whatever, like researching it, learning how to get a MetaMask. Right. And do all these things again. Cause I, you know, it wasn't a MetaMask in 2017. I don't even remember what, what wallet I was using or whatever. And sure. uh, so I learned the process um, in whatever, February. And I wrote it back in like six hours. In the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, he had his stuff on SoundCloud and I learned how to put it on IPFS and I learned how to tie it to an NFT. You know, I did the process, you know, it's, it's, wow. it's there. Like you can learn it. Right. And it's much easier today than it was even a year ago. Much, much easier. 
Uh, but back then, it was a little learning curve. It was like a six-hour learning curve, right? For me, anyway. I'm a little slow, maybe. And um, and I sent it back. at like I DM'd him at like three, and I was like, here it is. He's like, oh, man. Uh, thanks, bro, but already sold it. Some guy did it in like 15 minutes. <laughs> oh. And he made like 4,500 bucks or whatever, right? And I was like, oh, that's awesome. But, you know, hey, you know, this, that's cool, man. No worries. And, um, but it got, it, it, I, it got, it was like my step, like, oh, and now yeah. I have my MetaMask and now I have my ETH, like whatever, like a half an ETH or whatever I had at the time. And now I'm here. Now I'm in the space, right? And, uh, and then it was just tracking and tracking and kind of interacting with people and stuff. And then it was the, the second week in March, I think it was, um, there was a, a project called CryptoCats, which somebody rediscovered as a late 2017 project. Um, and what had happened with, with CryptoCats was there were basically two contracts that the developer had launched before launching the official contract. This is very common in early crypto, at least on Ethereum, is people wouldn't even run their contract on Testnet because it was almost the same. It was like so cheap to run it on Ethereum mainnet they would do their test contracts on mainnet. <laughs> and so what happened was you could literally go and like mint these cats. Um, they were just sitting there waiting and they were actually older contracts than the official contract. And so a bunch of us went and got cats that day. And I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. This is amazing. It, it allowed me, you had to interact with the, with the smart contract. You had to get on Etherscan and like interact with the contract. And so there was this like another layer of complexity that I got to learn. And then literally like a day or two later, uh, the Mooncats rediscovery happened. And that for me was like, my adrenaline was running. Like it was an incredible like life experience. And that really solidified it for me. Like, oh my God, this is something. And this is what I'm going to do for the next six months or years. Or I didn't even know. I just knew mm. that I was going to do that for a while. Sure. And on that tip, uh, for those who may not be familiar, when, when you are referencing rediscovery and, and these, uh, like, like the cats are being rediscovered, what are, what are you uh, yeah. talking about? I'll go a little bit back in blockchain history because there is blockchains before Ethereum, right? Most people think synonymous NFTs are Ethereum, but NFTs can be had on most modern platforms. Um, the thing just to kind of go way back when Bitcoin, uh, was first launched, artists began this, this idea, the idea of being able to put the provenance of their work on a blockchain, because we don't realize as just kind of normal people, non-artists, how difficult provenance is for a small artist, right? If I'm Basquiat, okay, every piece of work that Basquiat's ever done has been labeled and every gallery and, you know, museum in the world knows each piece of Basquiat, right? But if I'm a small artist, that's not the case, right? So it's very hard to create provenance for my work. Um, and so, you know, it would be done by a written certificate, which can be forged and all these sorts of things. So early artists recognized that, oh, with blockchains, we can create that for ourselves. And especially for digital artists who have always struggled with provenance and creating scarcity for their works, uh, it was a revelation. If I, and I've done it now. I've talked to artists who were digital artists pre-blockchain. They would literally create huge installations with screens and lasers and all this sort of stuff just to be able to say, this is the one piece of this work. 
and basically move it into somebody's house who bought it, right? Because it, it's like, this is a one of one because the technical aspect of it is so difficult to reproduce. This can be the only one. Or they right. would create URLs and websites where obviously a URL is a one of one. And so they would literally sell the URL, right? Those are almost like these first digital NFTs, which can be like moved around. Mm. Like that person could sell the website to another person, could sell it to another person. So digital artists were playing in this space. How do I create provenance and scarcity for digital works, which if you were around for Napster and Kaza and all that, digital works are unlimited, right? You can always make more copies. So it was a revelation for artists as they tried to learn how to put um, their works on blockchains, right? So there's all this history back from, you know, Counterparty on Bitcoin, Namecoin, Emmercoin, all these different blockchains where artists were like experimenting with this idea of like creating provenance for their works. Um, so that for me has been one big aspect of telling this story of NFTs, which is starting with some of the old artists and interviewing them, talking to them and figuring out what they were trying to do back in the day. Um, and the, so these, but these projects and what they did and what developers were kind of in parallel doing, developers were playing with the tech, which is like, oh, it wasn't maybe about art. It was about, oh, I can create scarcity though. I can create scarcity for digital land, for a map, right? And divide up that map into a thousand spaces. And each one of those is unique and ownable and transferable. We had developers and artists kind of working in tandem to create the modern NFT, right? And so, sure. so a lot of these projects were just done by a guy, you know, working in his closet, learning Solidity or doing something like that. And so finding those projects and bringing, to, bringing them to light to try and tell the, the history of NFTs has really been what I've been doing for the last 18 months. Wow. And, and uh, so is it just one, one, one question on scarcity here then? Uh, it sounds like there's two different that scarcity is sort of this umbrella under which there's the tech side of things and there's the artistic side of things. Is scarcity driving, do you think, in some aspects, the creation of art itself? Or is it more focused, is scarcity more a component on the tech side of things? I don't think scarcity drives artists, but scarcity supports artists. An artist who doesn't have scarcity has no value, right? It's just the way it is. If, 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 and the simple way to look at this is um, photographers, right? Photographers have always done numbered prints, right? So an Ansel Adams would do a numbered print of 100 of the Grand Canyon, right? So a collector knows that this is an official Ansel Adams and there's 100 of them, okay? That's really important, right? Because if there's unlimited, what's the value? I mean, it's still an Ansel Adams, right? Um, but right. there's just, it, but there's no, if I can always get one and it's always free, why would there be any value? Right. And so sometimes that value was, well, he signed it. So therefore, okay, this does have more value than an unsigned. Right. And the NFTs are a nice blend of that. The NFTs typically, uh, depend and artists are playing around with it, but typically are, uh, a numbered or a one of one. And by the provenance provided by the, uh, blockchain, you know, because it came out of the, the artist's wallet, that this is a, that it, his signature is on it because it came out of his wallet. 
So that's kind of how I view the modern NFTs. And and this can, of course, change. I know we're, we talk all the time in our group, like, if history tells me anything, what we think of as like the perfect NFT right now will not be the perfect NFT in a decade. It is going to be different. Uh, I have zero question about that. But as we currently stand, this is like, this is where we are in, in the, the history of NFTs. In terms of the history of NFTs, what about that history? What about that uh, Indiana Jones archaeology type experience is really, really inspires you, uh, motivates you? How, how does that how does that captivate you as an individual? The thing that's the biggest for me is is changing people's lives. Um, that's been the most rewarding by far, like more than anything else. Um, I've made some money and that's been, of course, a blessing for myself and my family. I haven't gotten crypto rich or anything like that, but I was able to like quit my normal nine to five job and like go full time into crypto and NFT. So that's been transformative for me uh, personally. But really, the thing I'll remember on my deathbed is like changing an, an artist who released an NFT project in 2018. It didn't do anything and they made no money. And relaunching that project and him making, you know, a half a million dollars and his life is completely transformed, right? It's gone from a struggling artist whose parents were telling him he had to give up art because it'll never amount to anything living in the Philippines to he's now a full-time artist, never has to worry about money again. And his family life is completely transformed. Like for me that's every that's amazing right and so that's been the biggest thing for me and that's happened a few times and that's been uh, that's been incredible is that transformation are you helping that transformation via you know you're you're a podcaster yourself through your own shows through what you were talking about before uh coin creation how how, how is that how are you uh how am i taking part in that, part in that? Yeah, well, yeah well i mean realistically with that you know i'm talking the artist specifically um that's that was a project called ether waifu which um I helped, I, I rediscovered and then helped relaunch. So what that looked like was um, myself and, and a friend who I'm friends with on Twitter, like we're going through contracts, right? We were looking for old projects and we found this one. It had like a website that was live, but you couldn't mint or anything because the links were broken and stuff. And I reached out and was able to find the developer and the artist behind it. Um, I talked to him, asked him about it, made sure that they were interested in like, rebirthing the project and like supporting the project and the community and stuff. And they were super excited. And, uh, and then I just told the story, you know, and very simply just like, Hey, look, this was a 2018 project. This is what it is. This is a supply. This is the artist. You can check them out here, 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 and just released it. And, and I call it relaunched it, right? Cause it was already launched it, you know, almost everything, you know, failed you know, 2017 and earlier, basically every project that was relaunched as an NFT or an art project failed, like didn't sell. Like we laugh in, in the groups, but it's like X copy couldn't sell a painting back in 2017. Like he couldn't, he sold them for like a dollar. Right. And was psyched when he sold one. Right. So, you know, it's a different world. Like these things were not successful. Almost universally were not successful um back in the day and so now obviously the market's completely changed so it was it was more about just presenting the projects and telling why they were maybe important or interesting or whatever and just telling those stories 
and the market was and still is to this day people are people are very attracted to this narrative of historical nfts at least a small group of us because these are the first truly ownable digital assets and that that people still haven't got their head around it i barely have my head around how big a deal that is um but i i truly think it's one of the most important technological advances in my lifetime and we haven't even begun to see it yet and so the early efforts in that direction i think are going to hold tremendous value over time in these efforts that you're uh, involved in they seem really akin what, what comes to mind is producing you know uh producing in the in, in the traditional hollywood sense you know in many ways the the process that you were describing makes me think of finding a script you know maybe maybe there was a script written 10 years ago and and you know you're combing through uh sifting through what's available today and then realize hey this guy wrote this script 10 years ago and it was brilliant it didn't really you know maybe it had a couple people attached at some point but never never really made it happen and you've brought it back regained interest in it and and helped it become you know, a, a now a, a, a it's a funny you put it that way, but thing. that that actually is a lot of what it's like. Um, yeah, I'll give you an example. Like, um, uh, there's this project called Pixel Map. So it was it was done in 2016 uh, by a developer named Ken Irwin. And Pixel Map, when I found it, um, and I reached out to Ken. So it's like basically it's a grid. Think of like um, uh, if you remember the million pixel homepage or something. That's what it was based on. This guy back in like the, the early two thousands built a web page where you could buy pixels on the page for like a dollar. Each pixel was a dollar and there were a million pixels and he sold a million. He made a million dollars. This is like a semi-famous uh, thing going around the early internet. And so Ken was like, well, I'm going to make that, but it'll be a thousand pixels. So there's a, you know, just a grid with a thousand and, uh, and he built it in 2016 and, um, at the time, he was he was charging two ETH per pixel, uh, which at the time was like $20. And people were like, oh, my God, you're ripping us off $20 for a pixel type of thing. And um, so anyway, I found this. And and fortunately, I was able to get in touch with Ken. Uh, Ken didn't even know what NFTs were, you know, when I got in touch with him. Right. He had built this project to learn Solidity because he's a professional developer, right? Working for, I don't know, Amazon or, you know, whatever. He's a professional right. developer. And he just did this fun, like, project, you know? Uh, just in his basement, learning to code Solidity and built this project to learn, right? And uh, and didn't even know what an NFT was, right? And, uh, you know, but got him on board and, you know, taught him a little bit. He, he you know, had trust in me to, like, okay, well... As he said, I was hoping I could maybe make a thousand dollars, you know, when you wow. like if I made a couple thousand bucks, this would have been a home run win, you know, and, you know, the day we relaunched it, I think he made, you know, three and a half million dollars, you know, and completely transformed his life. And now he's pixel map full time. He just built an amazing uh, video game, like a Zelda type game on top of pixel map. Um, and it's just been awesome. And, uh, you know, so, uh, that another, is just one of those highlights of, yeah, finding something, uh, 
I guess in, in a way, it probably I'm imagining what a Holly, Hollywood producer is. You got to kind of convince people that your idea is right. And uh, and then you have to con convince the world that it's right. I guess you got to sell it to, you know, viewers and make an attractive uh, trailer or whatever. And that's still, in a way that is kind of what I do. Which is, which is really, really neat. And I, I, I love then that you're you're passionate about i guess it's two things really it's it's sifting through so so it's feeding that archaeological you know again i think it's an awesome uh reference the indiana jones and you to to go back through history and find projects that that speak to you but it's also having a discerning eye to say hey this this there's there's something here there's a nugget here yeah. and in the same way to use the hollywood metaphor of looking at a story and you know maybe the script has some work it needs that needs done in in the same way that uh it, you know structural yeah. problems or character flaws or whatever yep. those are yep. the broken links on the site you know and for and, sure and those i mean are the <laughs> people who who just who find basically like historical nfts right and they'll come in my discord and they'll say bro i just found a new a contract in you know 2017 oh my god and, and they're like ready to like jump out of their skin you know and i'm like okay man good i found thousands <laughs> right there are whole there are literally hundreds or thousands that don't work right that have unlimited supply they're ponzi schemes that you know the 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 numbers don't work out there are no images you know there's just it, it's it's kind of almost a joke it's like endless the ones that don't work right um so yeah, it is a discerning eye to be able to try and figure out the ones that that will work, and and they haven't all worked. Like I've not even been perfect, um, you know. But you keep going and you try, you know. And yeah. I think, think that's that's part of it. With respect to that process, is there? How, how do you? I, I guess when you're uh, <laughs> when you're sifting through old contracts, what what's yeah. What's that like? What's that process? Because obviously you're not sitting in a room going through in a library going through like bins of of paperwork. You know, how is that? How does that translate in the, the digital world? It's morphed over time. Um, so if we're talking like back March, April of last year, um, it was literally like Google searches um, trying to find anything related to NFTs. So it was like crypto searches, crypto art art on blockchain, you know, searching through Google, literally thousands and thousands of tabs of Google, um, trying to find stuff that way. That was the initial like stage. And I made a lot of mistakes at that time because during that first kind of relaunch week, which I told you about a rediscovery week, all the projects had a very similar kind of theme, which was like, you could see the images of the NFTs. You could claim them for, you know, basically at or near free, you know, so they were all of this like very similar. You could see the web. There were web pages, which you could see. Right. Um, so I was looking for that same structure of of projects to find. And the number that I passed on of ones that were later rediscovered in July and August, September uh, that I passed on in March and April. Um, make my head spin because, um, you know, I'll just give you an example. The simple one is like ether rocks, um, ether rocks, uh, you know, there's a hundred rock pictures of rocks on the, on the blockchain. Right. I looked at this and I was like, this is the stupidest thing of all time. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And, uh, but they were all there. They were like literally all for sale. You know, if I had spent an ETH or two uh, on the day we found Ether Rocks, I'd be a, you know, I'd have multiple millions of dollars right now. Um, but I didn't, you know, and, uh, you know, good on those people who did, you know, so, so there's stuff like that. So that was the early days. Uh, it moved from that to literally going through, I used a service where I could, I literally search keywords on, on the blockchain, on Ethereum. Uh, that was like the next stage. That's how I, that's how I found pixel map. Um, and then it moved more to like, people would contact me because then by that point, I was kind of a known person and people would be like, look at this one, look at this one, look at this one. And so you get kind of, there was a period there where I was just getting bombarded uh, by people who found stuff and, you know, having to go through and just, you know, find out what was, you know, like the process I talked about before, just finding what might work or not work or, you know, then it's just gets back to this like discerning, discerning eye. And, and still, even till to the today at this stage, it's more like some OG from 2015 remembers something and knew a developer who built this or that. And, and kind of that's when I start going down rabbit holes and mm. uh, like literally I've been going down a rabbit hole for the last three days on this one. Uh, I can't tell you about it, but um, you know, and we're working, I'm working with the developer to kind of bring this like one that I find interesting back to life. So hopefully this week, this one will go out there and, but they're few and far between now. Gotcha. So, so it's again, like fine, not so much diamonds in the rough, but, but really looking for the sifting through finding the gems, making the point of contact, going through that process and and then telling the story. Really, really neat. Uh, just to just to go back for a second, because this is such a fascinating world that you're in now. Was, was your nine to five, if you don't mind talking about it, was that at all related? You said your background was in finance. Is that what you were involved in prior to this new, you know, trajectory? Or w- w- was there a parallel, basically? As I said, I've always been in business. Um, my wife and I have a soap company here in Costa Rica. Um, nice. yeah, believe it or not, soap to NFT. So, um, we do refillable <laughs> dispensers for, uh, for hotels, bath and body products. And, you know, it's like people like you do soap. And I was like, yeah, but we were one of the first companies to do refillable soaps. Right. And so it's mm-hmm. like, now you see refillables everywhere. Right. And we were doing this 15 years ago. And I tell people like, we couldn't sell to eco hotels 15 years ago they still wanted to use small bottles that get thrown in the garbage, right? So I like to look, I like to look for things that are uh, unique and early. And, and like with our soap company, fortunately we were able to gut it out and now it's super successful. But we had to go through years of people telling us we were crazy, like years, uh, including eco hotels, right? Now we look back and it's like, oh, it's obvious. It's, of course, sure, of course, this would work, but it it didn't. It was not obvious when we when we launched it, right? And in NFTs are are very similar. Just very it, the parallels to being early. Um, it's it's the same. Like things that we talk about now with like, like music NFTs, right? Music NFTs are kind of the talk now. Like, oh, this is going to be great and blouse putting stuff out and you can earn royalties on his streams and stuff. Gee, I, I, it's incredible. Yes. This is like amazing. Well, Adam Levine was doing this in like 2016, had a full site 
with like token gated access, you know, all this sort of stuff. But it was it was 2016. It was too early. The tech wasn't seamless enough. The general public was not ready for it. Right. So this like fa it fails. Right. It just fails because it's just too early. And for NFTs and most, you know, stuff around NFTs, like virtually everybody was too early. And mm -hmm. so that's been really cool to to bring these back. Uh, and I've said to multiple developers and founders and stuff, it's like you realize in the real world this never happens. Like I've never seen a business that failed, you know, was driven out of the market and then by magic comes back and is like risen from the dead. It just doesn't happen in real life. Um, but that's happened over the last year with with these early NFT projects. Sure. And I, I would say, though, it sounds from what you just said that perhaps the soap company, we, we, we could use that as a great example, though, while it may not have been driven out of the market or, you know, left for dead, you were at the time, it sounds like you were early in terms of the echo friendly nature of a re yes yes and yeah. so it just took time for you, you had the vision you guys had the company it took a minute for people to catch up and so it, it, in a way yeah i mean if you're if you think about i mean now as i'm you know pondering my my past uh and my brother goads me about it all the time because we've done things together like you know i started doing youtube in like 2010 or 2011 i was doing youtube and my brother still was like, why did you stop? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I started, you know, I started podcasting, I don't know, four years ago, I, I started a podcast. Actually, I had the number one podcast in Costa Rica for a, a short period of time. And so, yeah, I, I, I recognize now uh, at my 50 year old self age that I do have a, an eye for catching tech early. I do have an eye for it. Um, most of the time, uh, I'm not willing to go all in on myself because of in real life obligations and whatever. I talk myself out of it or I'm too lazy and I don't have the follow through. You know, things like that have definitely, I've missed opportunities 100% hmm. um, for sure. And But the thing you learn in NFTs is everybody misses opportunities. Nobody escapes. Nobody escapes. You know, yeah, there were people who bought board Apes. And there are people who bought board apes and sold it to ETH or for ETH or five mm -hmm. ETH. Like I'm friends with everybody and everybody's done it. We all make mistakes. You dust yourself off and you get on to the next one. That's what you, you got to learn that. And, and being in NFTs, um, man, it's like, it's a life lesson in two weeks. I've had more huge wins and terrible losses in a week than the rest of my life combined, you know, so <laughs> you, you get, you get up to speed very quick in NFTs for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like a crash course though. Like those lessons that you're talking about are there, there's a, there's crossover, I think between both worlds, the, the NFT space, the digital world and whatever real life is these days, the, 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 the tangible world. And it's, it's really cool to hear how, one is for for you at least one world is informing the other and and the mistakes and lessons that that might happen in one world directly impact you know there's there's a back and forth between both and Absolutely. and in terms of the learning part too you know mistakes can be our greatest tool as cliche as people will, will agree that is and 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 so nfts i would say too it, it's no different you know the from from the journey that you've been describing all of those mistakes led you to in some way 
to find the wins? There's zero question about it. Um, and I think what it's actually um, done at this late age in my life is I've learned that if I truly believe in something now, I'm all in. And when I got, when I fully formed the idea in my brain, like when it completely made sense to me about digital ownership and how transformative it is, that's all, I, that's all I do now, because that is, it is, and this is the thing, nobody gets, still nobody. It's, it's, I don't know how many people, uh, 10,000 people in the world get it, maybe 20, I, not many. Um, get how truly transformative it is you know people still think that my normies my wife my friends ever you know they still think oh no it's a picture of a board ape it's like no 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 this is look you live in a digital world right i'm mm -hmm. holding up my phone right now check the number of hours you were on your phone yesterday pretty much if you're a normal person it's probably eight to ten hours right i mean this is where we we live in that zone and I might not believe in a fully immersive metaverse right now because we might be too far away, but I believe in like an augmented reality future where the digital is laid upon our life. So you won't be viewing a metaverse through this brick in your hand called an iPhone. It'll just be laid upon our reality. And when that happens, owning things in that realm will be important. And we are at step one of a hundred step process right now. And we've just gone through the initial boom cycle, um, which kind of cemented in, in people's brains. And if you watch mainstream media and you watch the kind of general public, they still think it's a scam. And uh, I look at that as an incredible opportunity to accumulate because the very, very first of these assets for me, I just, I can't, I see it as a huge, incredible win. When you can pick these things up for $50, $100, forget about it. I am absolutely picking them up for $50 or $100. Because what, what's going to happen in 15 years when every person on the planet has NFTs? They might not care necessarily about collecting them, collecting old ones, collecting valuable ones, but they're going to know what they are. And if enough people know what they are, the group of collectors is going to grow from what may be today 3,000 people in the world who collect historic NFTs to 3 million. And when 3 mm. million collect them, how many millionaires and billionaires are there? And how many, you know, it's just, it, it, it's very easy to see that, that those could 100x, 1,000x. Then it's like, well, which ones? Well, that, that gets into a lot more confusing argument. But uh, the thesis, I think, is really, really sound for me. Yeah. And it, it's, and it's exciting too, you know, it's exciting to be, especially with, with the niche, it sounds you've carved out to, to be at the forefront of that change of that wave of that, of that Indiana Jones pioneership, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, it has its ups and downs, but it's, it's in many ways to bring it back to Hollywood. It's, it's in many ways, its own hero's journey in a way. Uh, <laughs> On, on that on that tip, was there was there a first win that you recall that sort of cemented that that NFT that historical NFTs were the path that you like you you, you say you're all in on it now? Was there a moment along the way that validated? Hey, my instincts. I 
I, I can kind of see the, the, the gems in the rough. This, this is, this is where I need to go from here on up. You know, it was, I don't know if there was a time when it was like, Oh, this is everything for me. There've been so many wins along the way. Um, so many things that were amazing. And, uh, you know, from that first launch or other, other relaunches that I've done have been incredible. Um, you know, to just, just the reinforcement from, you know, people who built, for example, I'm actually wearing my, one of my curio cards right here. Uh, it was a art project that was actually rediscovered right after literally 24 hours after, uh, the moon cat rediscovery curio cards was rediscovered. And I become friends with the artists and, and the developers behind that, that project and stuff. And, um, helping them kind of tell the story about it, about what Curio Cards was and how visionary they were. Like literally this was like a VC funded or they were trying to get VC funding to basically build an art platform where artists could launch works on the blockchain. You know, and they were doing this in 2017. It actually launched like a month before CryptoPunks, you know, and telling the story of that. And just how incredibly transformative that is. I know a couple of dozen personally artists whose lives have been completely transformed over the last year, you know, who were never ever able to make almost any money with their art, right? And now they're a full-time artist again because NFTs allow them to kind of put their works on, not kind of, allow them to put their works and tie them to the blockchains and give value where it was very difficult for them to give value to collectors in the past. And the NFTs have kind of unlocked this communal aspect of collecting, um, which is amazing. It allows artists this kind of one-on-one -on -one direct conversation with their collectors. And I don't think people really get that yet. They don't really understand that it's almost a throwback to, I don't know, medieval days where I would have an artist kind of in residence in my house, right? And if I'm a wealthy landowner, I'm supporting one artist, right? To paint my walls and maybe make some murals or something like that, right? Um, this is like that, but way better because the clients or the people who can be supportive of artists are located globally. They're everywhere in the world. Uh, they can collect art and fully understand the provenance and they can support individual artists so they could they connect with somebody on social media on twitter or on instagram or wherever they can actually form a relationship with that artist and actually support that artist and not support them through like donations and freebies and giveaways but actually by buying that person's art which is great and uh so i'm i'm all in with that i mean that's just again it's this kind of transformative aspect where people are transforming other people's lives. And I think people vibe with that. People just love that. Absolutely. And, and you're also touching on what I, I think is really cool too, the, the throwback to medieval times, but that, that communal aspect, and that's a really interesting way of phrasing it, how you can, you can have that personal connection to the artist themselves. And yet the, you know, 5,000 foot view pull back, Everything's yep. in that case, if it's global, 
chances are, you, you, you know, maybe if you live in the same geographic area or you're all meeting up for a conference or something like that, you'll meet in real life. But chances are all of that community is still digital if it's worldwide and connecting all these dots. So it's really neat to yep. then bring what's essentially this global community, making it have the look and feel and the functionality of the artists in your backyard that you're supporting, which where else can you do that? A million percent. Yeah. A million percent. And, uh, and I think there's one other thing to lay on there, which has only just begun to be kind of talked about taking back ownership of art and specifically music. Um, we've moved into this streaming society, um, where we rent our art, we rent our music, um, which is very, very good. Like, I'm not saying it's bad. I love having every phone or every piece of music I've ever wanted to listen to on my phone. Like, I get, I get why it's attractive, you know, for 15 bucks a month. I get it. But it's also pretty much only good for the top, top tier Justin Bieber's of the world. You know, it's not good for someone with a thousand fans. It's just not. Because there's literally no way they can make money through those platforms. Um, I personally know musicians who with NFTs support them now completely just with NFTs, you know, and we've only scratched the surface. That's them selling a song to a person, right? What happens when they can tie the royalties, the payments for maybe the streaming service or for, for things we haven't even thought about yet, but tie all these things together in an integrated way through blockchains. Um, I think like Blouse touched on that and just started, you know, doing something like that. And, you know, but there's just there's just tremendous amounts of opportunity and growth for individual artists to to make money right now um, through NFTs. Tremendous opportunity for like that, that small group who has the thousand fans. Right. Like it doesn't have to be they only make money when they play the club. Like they can sell into those, that same group of a thousand people. And then that thousand people, it's not just, again, it's not this idea of like a donation. It's like, no, you actually own something. You actually have the provenance of that piece of work, which you then can sell in the future. And, uh, and that's a big deal. It's a big deal. It hasn't been realized yet in a meaningful way and meaningful. I mean, like globally, like the average music listener has no idea what I'm talking about. But for people in the know, we see this and we see like, oh, wow, there's there's going to be tremendous change here. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Absolutely. On that tip, moving forward, you know, with with your uh, we'll call them NFT archaeological pursuits. What what do you look for uh, as you're as you're combing through and 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 coming up? I know certain things you can't speak about, but what do you have on the horizon in, in your niche and, and what can we expect uh, to see and hear from you? Well, part of what I'm working on um, is, and I think this is kind of a logical next step because there are, I, I do believe in a multi-blockchain world going forward. Uh, I, 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 you know, this is just personal belief, not financial advice. I mean, I do believe Ethereum is probably going to be the winner in the smart contract um, game. Uh, of course, believe Bitcoin's going to be going to be there. Um, but I, I do feel like there are probably going to be multiple uh, blockchains. And so I'm very interested in this idea of being able to trade ac across blockchains. Um, and so I'm working on some stuff there. Uh, this is kind of where I see, again, it's not something that people care about today, 
but I think people will be vastly interested in to be able to seamlessly trade across blockchains in, in 15, 20 years uh, could be massive. Um, could be wrong, but could be massive. And so like some, something like that is something I'm working on, uh, you know, trying to get something together to work kind of in that space. But I'm, I'm really focusing, my, my main focus right now is still definitely historical NFTs telling this kind of story. Um, and, you know, we're go, we have a, the very first historical NFT fest in Barcelona at the end of October. Uh, I'm going to be presenting there and talking with some of the old G's, OGs who were, you know, kind of building these, these old projects like Pepe's and Spells Genesis and all these sort of things, along with all the artists who were helping build, build out this space. Um, so very excited to talk and, and kind of spread the word. And, you know, I mean, for us, it's and us in that community, we recognize how small it is. Right. And we understand that in order to reach a wider audience, we need to start telling stories in a in a more informative and interesting way. And once because because once it does, like we get the second wave of NFTs or second wave uh, in crypto, you know, those stories are going to help connect people. And it's, it's those stories that that connect people to projects, connect people to artists and grow the entire space. You know, that's that's what I'm interested in. and. Uh, We'll see how it goes. Yeah, awesome, awesome, and and and, and I and I hope that uh, you know you continue to unearth these these wonderful stories for, associated with these NFTs, and uh, you know keep in mind that uh, the process has legs to uh, again akin to to, <laughs> to 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 transfer to traditional uh, Hollywood stories and stuff like that. So it would be neat to. I mean, I I don't know if you've heard of like uh, Dan Sickles. Uh, he basically has funded his, uh, a movie he's got coming up. I think it's called, um, we're here. Have you heard about that one? And, um, so actually I interviewed, he was interviewing, you know, OGs and different people in the space at NFT NYC. Um, actually both of the last two NFT NYCs, I, I went up and interviewed with him and stuff. And, uh, you know, he's, ex he's exploring this, the idea of, almost kind of do, doing the fundraising like ICO version, but with NFTs, this is the kind of new way, right? Rather than an ICO, you buy the NFT. And if you buy a certain NFT, then you get a character that appears in the movie. And so people are doing all these interesting things. Um, and I support, you know, anybody who's exploring because if, if studying the history has taught me anything, it's the explorations that make the difference, right? Most of them don't work. Um, but almost like with business, yeah, most of them fail. But the ones that do work, learn upon the other ones that did fail. And we move the entire space and the entire space of humanity forward by these, these trial and errors, right? And so there's all these sort of things happening in the space. You know, people are like, what should I get into? I'm like, bro, look, man, most of them are going to fail. But I do support people trying out new things because this is how we grow as a, as a, as a species. Right. This is how we learn new stuff. Uh, you know, it's from the failures of, of our friends and neighbors. Right. And we learn and grow and try new things. And some of them will work. And as we work, we move into a new tomorrow. Amen. And and I think the 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 other element there, too, is when we're failing at what we enjoy. And, and in your case, this this historical look, this uh, archaeological dig through blockchains and stuff like that, when we tap into not only attempt 
giving ourselves permission to fail and explore and and and, and make mistakes to to pave humanity forward, as you're saying, if it's in in line, if if it's congruent, if it's in alignment with our our desires and passions, then you're you're failing at what you enjoy. So a million percent, you know, yeah, a million percent, a million percent, man. It's like that. Uh, there's that Jim. I think it's Jim Carrey was given like a commencement speech or something. Yeah, yeah. And he's talking about his dad, right? Who was like a right. trumpeter or something back when when he was 20 years old, right? And I guess Jim was his uh, like a surprise kid or whatever. And uh, you know, and he was like, "Well, I I'll go back to school and get my like accounting degree because I need a, a secure job for my family." And I think when Jim was about 10 years old, his dad lost his job, right? And, you know, Jim remembers how devastating that was to his family. But the great thing that came out of that was Jim realized that you can fail even at the things that are safe. And so you might as well do what you love, right? Because absolutely, you know, and so that's challenging for humans. I know that's very challenging for myself. Trust me, this is not easy. And I'm not saying to anybody, oh, just go do what you love, man. Trust me, it's challenging. Everybody has life, you know, people they have to take care of and responsibilities. It's hard. Um, but part of what this was for me also in the last year was this, uh, you know, at, at times I've had to take risks, you know, and part of it was for me because um, I wanted to be, you know, a bigger, better person than than I was before. And part of it was for my teenage son, seeing like his dad go for something at 50 years old. Right. Mm. And so I always encourage people to, to, you know, try new stuff and go after their dreams for sure. Love it, man. And, and, and it's so inspiring too. And, and, and also what an example that you're setting again for, for yourself and for your son and your family. It, 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 I think the, 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 the ripple effect too, of when we take that internal leap of call it faith, call it, call it risk. When, when we take it for ourselves, the ramification, you, you just never know how that's going to inspire somebody else and, and the positive effect that that can have on, on the people around you. So that's really cool. Absolutely. Uh, well, this has been another episode of the Lights, Camera, Crypto Podcast. Adam McBride, NFT archaeologist, thank you for your time. Man, it's been great chatting with you. Loved it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Solon and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Himes.